Welcome into the newest edition of the Checkerboard Chat. We have a little midweek action for you, not in our normal Monday night spot, but big news this week, this Wednesday, is Tennessee hires Josh Heupel as its new head football coach coming from Orlando with Danny White. And I have Josh Lane here, the assistant sports editor at Daily Beacon, to talk to me. I'm Ryan Schumbert, sports editor. A lot to get to, but um, Josh, what were, what were your initial hires on, on Josh Heupel being hired as uh, the Vols head coach? Yeah, uh, I got to say, at first, a little surprised. Um, you know, his name was on a couple lists, a couple of the hot boards and such, but he didn't really seem like a like the standout candidate to me until probably late Tuesday night and, you know, right before he was hired. So a little surprised at first, but I think right now I'm kind of with where a lot of the fans are. Like, it's a solid hire. I don't hate it, uh, but it's not, you know, blowing me away. I think he's got potential, but right now it's just a solid hire in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty accurate. I think most people are kind of in wait-and-see mode. Um, I definitely think, you know, Danny White was saying this was our first choice. This was the – it may have been the only guy they officially offered a job to, but I know mm-hmm. they, they talked to a lot of other guys. I think I don't think a whole lot of interest was reciprocated from a lot of the bigger names, Luke Fickle, Billy Napier, Matt Campbell. I think pretty widely reported that James Franklin did have some interest. They went down that road. But I don't think it's shocking that any of those guys said no given the state status of the Tennessee roster the status of the NCAA investigation, it's, it's frankly not the most appealing job right now. But when you get past those kind of top candidates, I, I think Josh Heifel is about as good as anybody. I mean, it's hard to say if he would have done better than X person, but I, you know, looking at, and with some foresight, I think he definitely brings potential. He gets the sitting head coach, I think was a big thing that Danny White was looking for. And then the offensive minded, Offensive-minded coach, I think, is what Tennessee needs. I, that's what Danny White's hired every single time, so I think that was kind of expected. But it is definitely in, in wait-and-see mode right now. What's, I guess, the most – the positive, the the excitement? What do you look at as being what makes Heifel a good fit at Tennessee and a guy that can have success? Well, kind of as you mentioned, a very, very offensive-minded quarter, uh, head coach and specifically how he can develop quarterbacks. Um, he's got he's had a very good reputation with that. Uh, Sam, he was coaching Sam Bradford when he won the Heisman back in the day. Uh, he coached Drew Locke at Mississippi. He's gone on to have a good career. Um, Landry Jones, just to name, so just a couple guys there. You know, he can really develop quarterbacks. And, um, you know, that's kind of been Tennessee's biggest issue over the last couple of years. I mean, it's been well documented. They've definitely struggled there. So that's, you know, that's area of big potential. That's kind of what's most exciting to Tennessee fans is that, you know, if he can turn around Harrison Bailey or some other quarterback that Tennessee might have, then, uh, you know, we might be pretty good here in the future. Yeah, and that's – we're going to get into in a minute a little bit more mm-hmm. from this press conference. But that's something I thought was maybe not the most impressive thing. But uh, something he said yesterday that I thought came off very well is he was like, if you want to compete for championships, you got to have a championship-caliber quarterback. And sure. not – this isn't a bash Jeremy Pruitt podcast or anything, but I don't think Pruitt necessarily saw football – that way, you know, the old school defensive minded coach and Tennessee's got a, a lot of catching up to do to get to Florida, Georgia and Alabama. And there's just because you're saying, you know, you need a quarterback doesn't mean you'll get the right one and be perfect. But the best way for Tennessee to close that gap is to figure out the quarterback position. Absolutely. And especially if they could strike gold on a, on a recruit. Like I know Ty Simpson's a big name in the 2022 class with Alabama. Clemson after him hard. It's a guy I'm sure will be was probably one of Heifel's first calls yesterday. Um, 
But I think that's really something that stands out about him. And you look his offenses at Central Florida in particular, top 10 scoring offense every year, top 25 in passing and rushing yards, I think every single year besides 2018, his first year there, they ranked 33rd in passing. So, I mean, he, I don't think there's hardly anything you look at what he did at Central Florida on offense side of the ball, and you can really scoff at. He had quarterbacks get injured. Obviously, Mackenzie Milton one's pretty well known what a gruesome injury that was, what a really good player he was, kind of derailed his career. But you do, when you do go back to Missouri, which is, you know, something I've been looking at, the numbers look good. I think in 2017 is his, his last year there. They finished first in the SEC in uh, scoring per game. But the stats are kind of a little misleading there. You look at the numbers they played seven games against what I'm calling Dubai opponents, the Idaho and Missouri State. Mm-hmm. They played UConn, which I, I'm guessing they weren't bought. They didn't buy that game, but UConn's pretty bad. And then they played four teams that did not make a bowl game in the SEC. Florida went four and seven. Tennessee went four and eight. Arkansas went four and eight. Bandy went five and seven. In those seven games, Missouri averaged 54 points a game. And their other six games, which included South Carolina, Purdue, Auburn, Kentucky, Georgia, the bowl game against Texas, just 17 points per game. So very skewed there. Obviously, Missouri's not the most talented talented roster in the SEC. Drew Locke was a good quarterback, and UCF probably has been one of the most talented rosters in the AAC, AAC. So you don't expect the complete, you know, same numbers, the same expectations at UCF that you would at Missouri. But I think that was a little bit of a of a concerning stat, I guess, for what he was been able to do in the SEC. The year before that, the stats are skewed a little bit too, but that was a really bad Missouri team that he was coming in and did not have a lot of talent. I think that was just sure. Drew Locke's sophomore year. So I think it's a little less on that one, but certainly something to watch. And, and I don't know what, what you make of those numbers. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you mentioned the offensive success he's had, but kind of to go along with that, I'd say on the flip side, teams he's been on have not had a great defense. And obviously, offensive coach, you can't really hold that against them, but it's just something that's there. And so, you know, maybe with the high-powered offense that they've had that they've been running, they can afford, you know, if they can afford to beat up on the other team's mistakes. won't hurt them necessarily, but playing a good team, playing a solid team, you know, if you don't have a great defense, and it'll catch up with you regardless of how good your offense is. So I guess that's just something to look out for as he comes to Tennessee, but I'm sure we'll get to that later. Yeah, and that's, you know, this is a little bit more speculative. You wonder if it's some of those defensive numbers are kind of the way you see Alabama's defensive numbers be down and the way LSU's were down in 2019. Just the product of having an offense that goes that fast, you're going to give up some points. You wonder how much of it is that, but that's that's the huge unknown, and I think that's what we'll get to this a little bit more. But I think that's who he hires on the defensive staff is going to be the most important thing for him in the coming weeks. But – Obviously, we, we listened to Heifel talk for about 25, 30 minutes yesterday. Pretty classic introductory press conference stuff. I was, I was talking to my dad. It was, he was asking what, what the big takeaways were. I was like, ah, this is the fifth time Tennessee's done it. There's only so much that everyone mm-hmm. can say. But with that being said, what were some things that, that caught your eye that he talked about yesterday? Yeah, well, first thing uh, that caught my eye, he talked about recruiting. Obviously, that's not been his biggest strength. I don't think he's been terrible, but – he could definitely uh, stand and prove, especially compared to like where Pruitt was. That was one of his biggest strengths was recruiting and signing days coming up. So, I'm, you know, as you mentioned, calling quarterbacks, uh, especially in-state people, there's a lot of great uh, four and five star prospects in state in Tennessee that often they'll go out of state. So I guess uh, getting those in-state recruits is going to be very important to him. 
Um, another thing that he mentioned from the press conference was like the different styles of offense. They addressed that, um, how it's very fast paced, spread offense, that type of thing. And that's very different from what Tennessee's running. And so there's, you know, kind of maybe a disconnect there at first with just the two different philosophies, but he seemed very confident that between him and the coaches and the players and all the time they have between spring practice and between summer and everything coming up, that they'll, uh, they'll definitely be ready by the time season rolls around. And maybe the last biggest takeaway from me was uh, he seemed passionate and he seemed like he demanded a lot from his players. And, you know, he wants his players at a high level, a uh, high energy all the time. And I think last year, and maybe especially towards the end of the year, that's an area where Tennessee kind of struggled. It looked like, uh, players weren't given as much energy, kind of lackluster performance. So I, I think that was very refreshing to hear. Yeah, yeah. and the thing you said about the, the recruiting in state, I think that's a big thing. Um, that's one of the reasons I thought it made a lot of sense for Tennessee to make a move away from Pruitt this year. Obviously, they're him to end up kind of being forced there. But mm-hmm. you have that ability to – the 2022 class in the state of Tennessee is, is the best one probably since 2017. They have T. Higgins, Jacoby Stevens, a lot of guys go – Really, one of the ones that was one of Butch, fault, Butch Jones' downfalls that he didn't get enough of those kid, real good players in that class. Sure. So to have a coach kind of be able to sell the vision, you know, that's recruiting in a school like Tennessee. Those first few years with the coach, it almost always goes pretty well, just because you're selling the future, you're selling the vision, you have everything else to go around it, and you don't have to rely on winning. Some things that I also I thought stood out. One thing, he kind of downplayed the NCAA stuff, and really, that's just true. as a whole, I think he he put more expectations on himself for next year than I would expect a new coach to do. Now he wasn't out there saying we're going to go win the SEC. He wasn't saying we're going to go win six, seven games, but he, and you touched on it there a second ago, he kind of scoffed off the idea that it was going to be a real hard transition to go from the pro style offense to the spread offense in one year. He said, I've done it in a lot of places. It's really not that big of a deal. You can almost do it two times is what he says. And then for him to, what I think he called it a speed bump, the NCAA stuff. And I'm sure some of that's just trying to be positive, put on a good, good face for recruits. But those two things, you, you know, you're saying it's easy to change your offense and it's the recruiting violations are just a speed bump. You're kind of saying mm-hmm. that there's no reason we can't be successful really from day one. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, he's obviously, as you mentioned, he's got a very high vision. I think, fans and media are going to be a little skeptical, maybe a little encouraged by what he's saying. But we, I mean, we've just endured all these, you know, a couple of hard years in a row here at Tennessee and we're kind of like a new coach now and you know, what's going to be happening. But I think it is, it is a little encouraging to hear that he's so optimistic about the future, even though we probably have pretty, pretty low expectations, especially this first year. Yeah, definitely. And this, I'll kind of tie this in. I probably should have introduced it at the beginning, but the deal or the terms of his contract that, Six-year, $4 million per year deal. Jeremy Pruitt, I think, was making $3.8 million last year, but had already signed that contract extension that would have paid him $4.2 million. He turned down the pay raise due to COVID until what would have been this coming season that he will not end up getting paid for. But the one big thing that, talking about the NCAA reason, I want to tie it back in, it six-year deal with the possibility to be a seven-year deal if Tennessee has – two seasons worth of bowl band or over eight scholarship players or eight scholarship is taken away. I thought that eight scholarship was an interesting term because with as much, and we have some stuff in our, our special issue today about it with as many players that have transferred, I don't think Tennessee is hardly going to be 
close to that 75 scholarship mark for a couple of years since you can only bring in 25 a class. I was mm-hmm. a little surprised that they put that number of eight. That felt a little low to me because I can almost see Tennessee implementing a six to eight persons or team scholarship loss for a few years just because they're going to be down it already. Sure. Yeah, I totally agree. I was I was a little surprised by that as well. And I mean, I don't know. I guess it's just it's the punishment. It's just what's what's happened. This is the situation Tennessee's been forced into. Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see if I think that the prevailing thought is that Tennessee would self-punish since they kind of handed everything. They did everything with the NCAA's holding the NCAA's hand, bringing them right along. So I think mm-hmm. it seems like their game plan here has been we'll tell them everything, we'll self-punish. Hopefully that'll be enough. So that'll be interesting to see. That would make me think they're not thinking they're going to do a two-year bowl ban. I wouldn't think you would have that extra year of extension for anything that you already planned on doing. But that'll certainly be something to wait and see in the coming weeks and months as that internal investigation winds down and we'll see how long the NCAA stays on Tennessee's campus. Sure. Moving over to the transfer portal, we've had a little bit more news there this week. Keyshawn Lawrence entered and found a home in Oklahoma and Eric Gray, who obviously we entered last week. We talked about some in our podcast on Monday, also going to Oklahoma. Oklahoma's kind of become in Tennessee. I don't, I don't even know what area of the country Oklahoma is. West, Midwest, South, yeah. Southwest, somewhere Midwest. in that range. Three players have now transferred there. But two players, major Tennessee players that announced intentions of transferring and Henry Toto and Kavarish Crouch, both still enrolled in classes at Tennessee past the ad drop date that was yesterday on Wednesday. What do you make of that? How important to Tennessee would it be if, if both Crouch and Toto were not in Knoxville right now, though they are in classes still doing those mm-hmm. virtually, how big would that be if Hypel can get those guys back to Knoxville and, and at least go in through things for the spring? Sure. That, that, I mean, that would be huge. Talk about two leaders of your defense, a, a defense that was already not great last year. I mean, there's potential there, but in Toto, I think the leading tackler, he, I'm, he might've had the most sacks on the team, uh, you know, just team leader, great clubhouse presence. I mean, that would be huge for Hypo and to get him back. And maybe with Pruitt gone, maybe that was the reason why Toto was out. Um, I mean, we'll just have to see what Hypo can do, but as you, you know, that would be, so big for Tennessee in their defense to get two linebackers like that back. Yeah, and obviously I think Henry Toto is probably the best player on Tennessee's whole team, if not Absolutely. one of the best two or three. Crouch isn't a great player, but he is a starter, a guy that plays a lot. I think what's so big about it is you just look at Tennessee's outside linebackers and inside linebackers since the end of the season. I mean, they've been decimated. You had Kevon Bennett got kicked off the team, I guess, before the season ended back in mm-hmm. – early December, maybe late November. DeAndre Johnson transfers back home to play at Miami. J.J. Peterson, Kvars Crush. I mean, that's Henry Toto. That's five linebackers you could be losing at a, a spot. Tennessee really had no depth. So, more than obviously Toto is a good player. Crouch is a solid player. More than anything, Tennessee just needs bodies there. Because if not, they're going to be relying on, on sophomores and freshmen to play who have not played any meaningful snaps to be playing basically all the snaps next year. Right. And I mean, we mentioned it earlier, uh, you know, with Hypo, kind of the reputation is that his team, his team defense isn't great. And, you know, just just by nature of the offense. And so, you know, getting, as you mentioned, any bodies that we can, and especially a couple of really solid ones in toe toe and crouch, uh, that would be huge for Tennessee. But, you know, we'll just have to wait and see, uh, see if they change their minds with this new hiring. So first thing kind of on 
business for Coach uh, Heifel will be hiring his staff. What do you expect to see there? How much do you expect to see him bring guys for UCF? What are some potential names that you would think would be good ideas to bring on or at least at the okay. court, the coordinators, not in the, in the minor stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, with the way Danny White brought his UCF coach over there, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, a lot of other UCF coaches might come up here following their head coach because they had a lot of success down there, had a lot of good chemistry. Um, but I guess kind of the biggest issue, probably the most prominent one, as you kind of alluded to earlier, is the defense and defensive coordinator. And I think Kevin Steele, he was a new defensive coach. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember if he's a coordinator or not. But that was kind of Pruitt's last hire. So, you know, if he sticks around, that'll be up to that'll be up to Hypo or if he wants to fill fill that role with someone else, someone from UCF or or regardless anywhere else. But that's I, I think in my eyes, that's probably the most uh, pressing mat, pressing matter on his staff right now. Yeah, and I think Kevin still was brought on as just a defensive assistant, but Obviously, he's been an SEC defense coordinator, or I think Clemson was one stop. Big level defense coordinator for a long time. I think that's a name that makes a lot of sense. I don't know where his mindset is. Does he? I'm sure he was wanting to get the Tennessee job. He was going after an Auburn job pretty hard mm-hmm. earlier this offseason. Does he want to come in as an assistant for a guy he doesn't really know? I think that's going to be worth watching. One name that I will say on the offensive side, the ball is Jeff Levy, Ole Miss's offensive coordinator. Sure. He's – Sir was office coordinator at UCF under um, Heupel for two seasons. I think those two are really close from talking to some people at Ole Miss. I think they expect Levy to leave. I think the question is going to be, will Levy get that Central Florida job? I think he's a major candidate there. He's a really hot up and up and coming offensive coach. If not, I think that would be, you know, I expect that to be the first guy Heupel goes after. It's been his offense coordinator for two of his three years. He's really highly thought of. And to me, obviously, it's less important on the offensive side of the ball just because Heupel has that pass. But there's so much that goes into being the, the head coach at Tennessee. It's it's hard to be calling the plays, dialed into every single little offensive thing. Having a, someone you can fully trust on the offensive side, I think, would, would go a long way to helping Heupel with all of the expectations and all the extra baggage and kind of noise that comes with the Tennessee job. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. So many responsibilities. It's just such a big job, as you mentioned. And, you know, having that offensive coordinator. Um, and Old Miss had a pretty good offense. They were scoring a lot of points. So you know that he's going to have success, too. So that would be that would be a good combination, I think, if he got uh, that man for the offensive coordinator. But as you said, UCF, that would be a, a, an appealing job. So we'll just have to wait and see how uh, Hypo plays it out, I guess. Yep, and – they kind of SEC kind of snuck it in on us on a very busy football day on Wednesday, but the SEC schedules order of schedule comes out. Tennessee already knew who they were playing, but that finalizes Tennessee's 2021 football schedule. We will run through it here and give you some thoughts. Tennessee will open the Josh Heupel era on Saturday, September 4th against Bowling Green following week. They will host Pittsburgh week after that, September 18th, they'll host Tennessee tech. September 25th, they travel to Florida for, for the first SEC game. Next week, they come – or, excuse me, they go to Columbia, Missouri, to take on the Tigers, a, a former spot that Heifel has coached at. October 9th, South Carolina comes to Knoxville. October 16th, Ole Miss comes to Knoxville. Following week, Tennessee will go to Alabama. 
last week of October, October 30th will be Tennessee's bye week before kind of November home stretch that will be at Kentucky, home against Georgia, home against South Alabama, home against Vanderbilt. What were your, what are your thoughts? Obviously we kind of knew who those opponents were going to be, but what do you see on the, the way the schedule was laid out and what do you think will be kind of the expectations for, for Heifel's first season? Sure. I mean, first off, I'm glad that it's 12 games again. I know hopefully the pandemic will be mostly resolved by then when there'll be plenty of fans in Neyland and it'll be good atmosphere, but that's kind of the, my first reaction. Um, I mean, it looks like a pretty standard Tennessee schedule, but it's going to be a tough one for Hypo and kind of a baptism by fire type deal. I mean, I'm looking here, you got a couple a couple tough games traveling to Florida. That'll be a tough one. I'm sure the, re, the homecoming for him at, at Missouri, that'll be a big game. And then at Alabama and even at Lexington against Kentucky, I mean, those are going to be some tough road games. And then, you know, you still got to host Georgia. Um, it's going to be a tough season for – tough uh, slate of games for Heupel in his first year. So, I mean, we were already kind of talking earlier about maybe what's his success going to look like in his first year, you know, transitioning and everything. It's He's not getting it easy with this schedule. Yeah, and, you know, there's certainly the the normal barriers or struggles of the Tennessee schedule. You're going to have to play three teams that are probably going to be in the top ten with Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. Some way, In some ways, I do think the schedule does – set up nicely for Tennessee. My, probably my first takeaway when looking at it is that that Georgia game is still in November. I know that was an early October game for a long, long time last year. They, the plan was to play it in November before COVID-19 changed everything, but there was kind of some uncertainty if that was just going to be a one-year thing or a long-term thing. And I don't really think that's good. I think that's very good for Tennessee because you look at how their schedule oftentimes is winded up and they're playing Florida, Georgia, Alabama in a four or five week span. And that just decim when you're as bad as Tennessee's been for the past decade and the depth that they, they haven't had, that just decimates a team in the middle of the season. It's a little bit easier to have it stretched out Florida on September 25th, October or October 23rd at Alabama and November 13 against Georgia. So three or four weeks separating all of them. I think that makes it a little, a little bit more manageable. And then the one thing that I, I really look at, I think two games that are going to be very, very critical for high are going to come early in the season. That's that Pittsburgh game week two at home and the mm-hmm. South Carolina game on October 9th at home. Two games that I think will really kind of be basically toss-ups. Tennessee maybe be a couple point favorites, but you get both those games at home. I think both you really have to win at least one of those games to make a bowl next year. Um but really, that's two games. If you win both of those, you're probably going to lose to Florida anyway. I think you really have some momentum and, and some confidence in a team that was beaten down last year. And that's half going to be half the battle for Josh Heifel is to get the confidence and the, I guess the in-game we can win this kind of mindset back is that was a problem for Tennessee last season. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned it, two winnable games, Pittsburgh, they were a decent team last year, but not super great. Same with South Carolina. So, I mean, you, you got to think Tennessee should be, you know, with the talent, some of the talent they got on their roster, they should be right in there. And as you said, I mean, losing that one, lo- losing those two, that could, could be winnable and some of these other tough games, it could be, it could be terrible for their confidence and the way they play to lose some of those. So, you know, definitely, definitely two games to watch, two very critical ones for the season. By I'll, I'll stick it on you. Not what, not a record prediction because we don't even have a heck of a clue what Tennessee's roster is going to look like yeah. in three months. But 
just looking at it, what do you think should be the goal for, for Josh Heifel in this first year? Well, uh, I would like to say win at least more than three games because that's what they did last year. <laughs> um, you know, maybe six or so, that might be a little ambitious, but I'd say win the games that you're supposed to and at least be competitive in the games that you need to be competitive in because, you know, we just mentioned South Carolina and Pittsburgh. Tennessee should be competitive. It might be a toss-up going either way, but, you know, at least stay competitive in the ones that you should be in and take care of the ones that you can definitely take care of. Yeah, I think that's a great point on, on being competitive because Tennessee was, was far from that this year. Every single loss, double Absolutely. digits. And look, I'm not saying Josh Heifel needs to play Florida, Georgia, or Alabama real competitive next year. But besides those three, there's not a team on Tennessee's schedule that they can't beat. Now, let's get this very clear. Tennessee's not going to give a nine and three next year. Oh, I, yeah. you, I think they're probably a six and six team right in that range, six and six, five and seven, with six and six being what should be the goal for Heifel. But you have games, Pittsburgh, Missouri, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, you don't have to win all those games, but those teams aren't teams that should be blowing you out. Mm -hmm. Those teams are teams you should be competitive with. And that's what, again, granted, he's had a lot of talent at, at uh, Central Florida, but Heifel did that really well. I think he just had one loss in three years that was by double digits, and that was his last game against BYU in the bowl game. So I think that'll be be telling, maybe more than even the wins and losses, or just how competitive on a weekend sure. week out basis Tennessee will be. And then one last thing on the way out on the schedule – October 16th matchup will be Lane Kiffin's return to Knoxville. I am sure that will be a fun one. Hopefully, like I said, what you said a minute ago, the pandemic, they can have as many fans in there as possible. Yeah. I'm sure that'll be a uh, anticipated one for ball fans. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people were hoping he might come back to Knoxville and be the next head coach. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of bitter feelings towards them and with everything that happened, but you know, that'll definitely be a fun one for sure. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a good point on how many Tennessee people wanted Kiffin to come back. But that will be it for this edition of the Checkerboard Chat. I am Ryan Schumpert, joined by Joshua Lane. Appreciate you guys for joining us. Have a great rest of your week.